Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Roger Goldberg. Roger, welcome back to Retina Synthesis. Carmen, great to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about uh, a unique molecule from Annexin Biosciences, which is a C1 complement blocker. Can you tell us about the biology of the blockade? Sure. So C1Q is an important initiator of the classical component of the complement cascade, and it's a key driver of neurodegeneration. But not only does it play an important role in triggering the classical arm of the complement cascade, which we know then kind of feeds down to C3 and C5 in the membrane attack complex, but it turns out that C1Q gets up upregulated in periods or times of stress related to inflammation. And it actually clusters at uh, the photoreceptor synapses and tags those synapses for destruction by uh, macrophages and microglial cells. And this is actually some pivotal work from Ben Barris, um, who is someone that I I've had a kind of a personal connection to through my brother for a long time. He was uh, one of the leading neuroscientists at Stanford and really discovered this critical role that C1Q plays in terms of neuroprotection or blocking C1Q might play in terms of neuroprotection. So it's interesting, there, there are studies done, let's say like in albino mice, where they stress those albino mice with a bright flash of light in their retina. And what you see when in this light-induced damage is that C1Q localizes not only kind of throughout the photoreceptor layer, but particularly concentrated at the layer of the synapses uh, of the photoreceptors with those intermediate cells like the bipolar cells and amacrine cells. And it turns out that blocking C1Q can not only kind of protect photoreceptor cells and photoreceptor cell thickness, but also help protect photoreceptor function in these, in these albino mice. And I think it's relevant for GA because in GA, Yes, you've got an area of RPE loss. That's what we see on the fundus autofluorescence. And overlying where there's RPE loss, you have photoreceptor loss. But it turns out even in the areas adjacent to the, gen the geographic atrophy, where there's still intact RPE cells, so the RPE is still intact, but you have loss of photoreceptors and photoreceptor synapses. And this has been shown nicely um, with various histo uh, pathologic kind of correlations of of eyes of patients who've had geographic atrophy, counting up the photoreceptors and photoreceptor synapses. And it turns out the photoreceptors are lost prior uh, to the RPE loss. Well, the so there might be an opportunity if we can protect those photoreceptors and photoreceptor synapses to actually protect visual function in patients with geographic atrophy, even if we're not really slowing the rate of GA progression. Yeah, I mean, the neuroprotection story is interesting, but the phase two clinical trial of this antibody to C1Q was really designed to document inhibition of growth of geographic atrophy. So can you tell us about the yeah. study and the results yeah. of the study? Yeah, so interestingly, you know, the phase to, to kind of demonstrate the commitment and the true belief in neuroprotection, I'll tell you that the phase one study of ANX007, 
which is this 50 kilodalton fab fragment uh, that targets uh, C1Q. The phase one study was actually in glaucoma as a neuroprotection uh, agent. In when they moved to phase two for geographic atrophy, you know, they went with <clears throat> kind of the established regulatory pathway, which at the time was progression of GA lesion size on fundus autofluorescence. And that was really kind of, you know, that was the endpoint that led to the approval of pegsetacoplin and avacincaptid. And so that's kind of the established approach. And, um, and, and patients in this study, the Archer study, uh, and this is what I was uh, reported on at Retina Society in New York uh, in October of 2023, patients were randomized either to monthly or every other month treatment with ANX007 or sham monthly or every other month. There are about 270 patients and they were treated um, over the course of a year. The primary endpoint, as you mentioned, was growth in GA lesion on fundus autofluorescence, and it didn't hit that primary endpoint, but there were some important secondary functional endpoints, and these were pre-specified, they weren't post hoc, they were pre-specified around best corrective visual acuity and low luminance visual acuity and low luminance visual deficit. The patients were then followed actually off treatment for an additional six months. So as you mentioned, uh, the patients, uh, the, the GA, when you look on fundus autofluorescence, there was not a statistically significant difference between month zero and month 12 in the sham treated eyes versus the ANX007 treated eyes in terms of growth of GA on fundus autofluorescence. We actually do start to see some degree of separation in those curves from month six to month 12. Actually in uh, month six to month 12, there was a 10% reduction in GA lesion growth in the monthly treated eyes versus the sham treated eyes. So maybe with with longer you know longer time on treatment, we might see an effect. This study importantly also enrolled both foveal involving and extrafoveal uh, GA. So much more of kind of like the heterogeneous population that we see every day in our clinics. But I think what has gotten uh, the folks. Um, uh, at ANX, at an Exxon, and frankly, many of the investigators like myself and people who are following this field very closely, is what happened to the vision? Was there evidence of this neuroprotective effect? And here they looked at um, three-line vision losers, 15 letters or more, either at two consecutive visits or at, or at month 12 at study end. And here we saw this protective effect, 21% of the sham treated patients lost three or more lines of vision versus only uh, 5.5% of the every month treated eyes and 11% of the every other month treated eyes. So there was this um, statistically significant reduction in uh, what, what really used to kind of historically was a widely accepted endpoint for, um, for, for vision. I think the original Anchor and Marina studies actually were trying to show reduction in three-letter, a uh, three-line vision loss. Nowadays, of course, from the wet AMD world, we're used to thinking about vision gain, uh, but in GA, that's not really what, uh, at least currently, we're targeting. So protection against vision loss. There was a time-dependent effect. If you look at uh, kind of what happens over the course of the study, there was a 72% risk reduction with the monthly treated eyes. 48% in the every other month eyes. And if you even if you exclude just those patients who had vision loss at that month 12 vision, 
So now you're going for just the patients who have vision loss at at least two consecutive visits. So something that's kind of durable and real. We see a 66% risk reduction in the monthly treated eyes, 35% risk reduction in the every other month uh, treated eyes. You're telling, you're telling us that the highlight of the study is that there was less three-line vision loss in the treated eyes. Correct. Do you think the FDA was is going to take this as a, a primary clinical endpoint in a phase three trial? Well, I think there's precedent for it. You know, if you look back historically, um, I think if we can prevent, we know these patients with GA, even the patients treated with our FDA approved medicines lose vision. And so if we're able to show, uh, or, or if an exon is able to show, yes, you can prevent significant vision loss. Um, I do think that's a clinically meaningful and frankly, from a regulatory standpoint, a valid endpoint. Now I can tell you that the folks at Exxon are going to be doing some analyses looking at the OCT data. We've seen presented from other companies, including uh, um, obviously uh, Apellis and Iveric, but also Stealth and even Neurotech with their CNTF implant for macular telangiectasias, what's happening at the level of the photoreceptors and what they call easy attenuation or ISOS loss. There's lots of different kind of uh, nomenclature around that. But wouldn't it be neat if we could actually have a biological you know, uh, correlate to what we're seeing visually? And I think that will go a long way towards um, kind of corroborating this effect, which is to say, hey, do we actually see a protection in photoreceptors, even if we don't see it on the growth of uh, GA on fundus autofluorescence? So plans for a phase three? I, yeah, the company is in discussions now, uh, you know, trying to um, plan for a phase three. They obviously have to meet with the FDA with a, you know, post phase two meeting and, and do all the requisite planning. And as you know, running a clinical trial in GA is, is, no, um, is no easy feat. It's expensive uh, nowadays to do. And so uh, I'm sure there are uh, lots of planning on that end as well. Uh, but I believe the company's uh, planning uh, to move this forward into phase three. And I think this result here in phase two warrants further investigation to say, hey, is this real? And can we actually help protect vision uh, in these patients? But uh, certainly the preliminary look here from Archer seems to support that. Well, this is the first clinical trial in ophthalmology that I'm aware of that shows that the neuroprotection theory might actually be practicable. Yeah, well, I think kind of like uh, the Neurotech CNTF implant for uh, macular telangiectasias type two, um, my expectation is that will be actually on the market in the next, uh, probably in about a year from now. And that's also, that produces a ciliary neurotrophic factor um, which basically helps protect those photoreceptors and helps keep neurons alive. So uh, I would put that in the category of, of a neuroprotective effect too. Well, Roger, fascinating story and uh, looking more toward data in the future. Fantastic. Thanks for, thanks for joining us on Retina Synthesis. Always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me.